1: It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So, you know, I know you heard my conversation there with Surrey White Rock, MLA, Trevor Halford, who mm. I think has done a good job standing up for those uh, tenants in yeah. his riding. They've been frozen out. We've he been, turned off. he's been carrying
2: those stories on Global. Yeah. Um, Halford's uh, been out there. Appointment. He, he's not making this political. No. He's just sticking up for his constituents. Yeah. And he's doing good work, and he's uncovering more of these instances of tenants literally appear to be being frozen out
1: yeah you know like so, literally frozen out yeah so they they're,
2: they're in these relatively low rent places and i right. have to wonder what's going on here is it, are they trying to force them out so they can jack the rents from nine hundred dollars which is you know pretty low rent in in anywhere in metro vancouver to eighteen hundred or twenty two hundred dollars if they were to move out sure and suddenly maybe the heat magically comes back
1: on this so, is why people can't move out so even if they turn the hot no. water where are you going to go yep. you know you got nowhere else to go So So, Alfred's
2: sticking. Apparently, he's got another meeting tonight. I think.
1: Yes, on the way out of the studio here, like he said, after Global did covered that first one. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the heat's been turned back on there. You got to wonder if the heat would be on if Global hadn't gotten involved or this this MLA had not gotten gotten involved. But the heat's back on there.
2: Can lead to a lot of changes. Oh
1: yeah, and then he heard about this other one, and I just spoke to another tenant there. No heat, no hot water, and he says he's got a meeting tonight at another one Mm -hmm. that he's heard about in Surrey.
2: Yeah, so so.
1: You know, yeah. this could be more common than you think, especially some of these older buildings.
2: Yeah, no, these, uh, again, um, have to question if there's something going on to
1: force people out of the building. So the loss is going to increase. So yeah.
2: Hopefully that's not the case, and hopefully this is resolved. But Halford's obviously uncovered something here.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's really interesting. We continue to follow that for you. Okay, let's talk about the... Uh Metro bus strike day two, so the buses are parked again today, no C bus too. Yeah. What Tell me about the traffic, because yeah, it's traffic well, chaos. Well, you and, and I are lucky
2: sitting over here in Victoria in Oak Bay where, you know, we, you run to work or bike to work, I can walk to work. Uh, just talked to some of my colleagues in the global newsroom. I was actually wondering why, you know, I'm trying to phone certain people I phone every morning. Alicia, our noon producer, usually contacts me by 9, 9.30, no contact, and then finally she gets through to me saying her 25-minute commute took an hour and a half, uh, bumper oh. to bumper. So again, people are, are really arriving to work later than usual because it's just a mess to get around
1: in, in Metro. Yeah, yeah, but the bus has stopped. It's traffic chaos there. for for a hundred hundred and eighty people are on strike. to snarl the city. And like. I'm told when you when
2: you actually look at the difference between what the unions looking for and what the, management is offering, because there's only 180 people, even though the percentages are are vastly different, the union looking for something like 25% over three years, the, the management offering 13%. When you total up the wages, though, it's only like a, a couple hundred thousand dollars between the two sides in terms of the cost to TransLink. But the concern I think TransLink has is that if you were to give a 25% wage increase to this union, other unions would want the same, and that would start... Uh, um, lead to a much higher wage package in terms of expense. But you're right, 180 people. The gap on a percentage basis is big, but when you it's like
1: less than one percent. It's like zero point zero something well, percent well, of
2: the total of the total budget of the, total wage, budget, bill, of the, total the bu-
1: wage bill. Right, that's Trans- what the unions arguing. Zero, right. oh, just give us the money. It's like just uh, it's only 180
0: people. And, Come on.
2: And so TransLink's are saying, Well, that that sets off a domino that others would want the same, and then the bill would be no billions of dollars. So yeah. Um, not sure how this is going to be resolved. It's, it's. I don't think it's easy for the government just to say we're going to impose a contract. Uh, there's a su- Supreme Court ruling back in 2015 of federal, the Supreme Court of Canada, that really shackled the government's ability to step into collective bargaining and end it. Hmm. So the government doesn't have the power that it used to have a decade ago because the, the Supreme Court ruled you just can't come in and suspend collective bargaining rights. So that's something to keep in mind here. Um, we're still waiting to see if Vince Reddy is appointed special mediator. That What's the difference
1: between a regular mediator no, and a special mediator? Well, i not entirely sure. I know one difference. Uh, I was listening to Harry Baines talk about this yesterday. That one of the the powers that a special mediator has is he can make recommendations that are made public. Yes. So this would put more that's pressure true. on the parties. And,
2: and works within a defined time frame. So Vince Reddy was a special mediator in the Fraser Valley dispute, and he was given 10 days to come up with those... Recommendations. My understanding is, if he's made special mediator, in this case, it's not going to be ten days. It's going to be a much shorter window to make mm-hmm. these recommendations, and they will be made public if he's appointed special mediator. And I don't think anything's going to happen today. I don't think there's going to be any move from the government. It's just going to play out. You know, it's going to be a terrible commute uh, going back on on the. But the bus is supposed, bus supposed to be running show. the buses tomorrow. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then you get into the issue of. Um, Essential service levels,
1: which I think yeah. we've got. Okay, let's talk about that, because now we've got this fight over whether this should be declared an essential service or not, and strike strike action should be limited as a result. So let's listen to the opposition leader here first, B.C. United leader Kevin Falcon. Let's listen. What they need to do is establish minimal levels of service, because it is an essential service, and that way, while there's an ongoing dispute taking place, the public is still being served. In the absence of that government will be forced to use the heavy hammer of legislation certainly that's the last tool you no. want to use your thoughts
2: well as harry baines pointed out yesterday uh there is a tool already in place it's it's the labor board's ability to set essential service levels. so this occurs from time to time in labor disputes where the parties go to the labor relations board argue about essential services we've seen this in health care seen it in education um for example say nurses were to go on strike in a hospital that doesn't shut the hospital down Right have to yeah. have maintained essential service staffing levels. Right. So presumably that's going to occur in this dispute if they get to this point. So in terms of, you know, shutting down the SkyTrain.
1: Do you think it should be an essential service? Like I was listening to you on the Global NewsHour last night, and you were pointing out that typically under labor law in B.C., an essential service is something that affects like the life and limb life of and people, limb. right? Yeah,
2: it's not protecting your commute. Yeah. It's not about convenience. It's not about you know, your ability to, to get to work or go shopping or whatever, it's life and life. So you, you apply that to healthcare. Sure, of course. So I think an empl- the employer, if they get to this point, can probably argue successfully in front of the LRB that the SkyTrain gets people, uh, or even a prolonged bus strike. Transit and SkyTrain get people to medical appointments. Yeah, right. At which yeah. they need to, to protect their health care. Sure. So I would assume the LRB would probably maintain some sort of essential staffing levels at um, at SkyTrain and, and potentially other transit. But it means just in a hospital situation, you would have fewer operations. There'd be fewer staff to perform abilities. So presumably it would have an impact on the number of SkyTrain uh, trains, for example, operating, if you have fewer staff doing the doing the work. But we're still not there. We're a long way from that. But um, we may get to that point.
1: Let's listen to the Labour Minister here. So this is Labour Minister Harry Baines. Should the, uh, the bus service be declared an essential service? Listen to what he says here. That option is available now under the code. Parties can reach out to the Labour
2: Board and they put their cases together and uh, uh, and uh, uh, declare certain areas of this uh, service as essential service. It has happened. It happens all the time.
1: Okay, so I guess he's saying it's, it's not up to the government to declare it essential service, it's up no, to it's the up, parties? It's up, it's up to the Labor Board. Okay, right. but the parties have to go and, argue, and ask for it? They
2: make their cases, what, what, what they think the essential service... Why hasn't that her? been done already? Well, because there's been no strike on Skytrain. Okay,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah well, well, what about well, the bus service? Though? I'm
2: well, I think in usually Labor disputes, that happens after there's a bit of job action. Okay. So we've got two days. Yeah. I don't think anything's going to happen until next week, after, t- after today. Um, which gives a little bit of breathing room for how everyone. bad
1: could this get? Do you think? I mean, it sounds like the two, parts are, the two parties are very far apart and they're dug in here,
2: they are. And it's uh, but again, it's, it's not a lot of money to the to Translink. Yeah. I mean, the unions correct to point out it's like 0.005%, whatever. But it's it like it, you but, said, does it
1: trigger it, other? It's the domino uh, effect for yeah. other units, which could yeah, yeah. trigger
2: a whole now. They don't have the same situation that we've got in the broader public sector in, in BC. So the VC government has a whole bunch of unions it deals with in terms of its its many, but TransLink's outside of that. So we have the Me Too clauses, as they're called, in public service public sector union contracts, which says if one union gets a little more than another union, the other union gets to play catch-up. So yeah. you give a, a bigger-than-usual increase to one union, that triggers the Me Too clause for other units. That's not an effect. My understanding is not an effect in TransLink. I could be wrong, but I don't think other unions there have the same language in their contracts as we do, say, for... So how uh, would it trigger a
1: domino effect, then?
2: That's, again, we haven't really (laughs) got that explanation.
1: Yeah. Okay, this is interesting. I I, I can't see. So the House comes back in two
2: and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, But, again, I go back to um, the government doesn't have the hammer it used to have. Of ending a, a legitimate strike. nor do
1: they want to I mean this is a labor friendly government, oh yeah, no, they want this I mean how you could
2: you could do a a drinking game how many times Harry Bain says the best deal is one reached at the
1: bargaining table, yeah. I think
2: he said it eight times yesterday. you'd be drunk, yeah. yes, yeah. Okay, real
1: quickly, uh, shake up here, provincial politics here. Ellis Ross, mm-hmm. the MLA for Skeena, the former elected chief of the Heisla First Nation, announces he will be running federally for the federal conservatives. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, a big loss to BC United, big gain for Pierre Poliev. I mean, Ellis Ross, highly regarded. Um, I think he, if Poliev forms government, I would think Ellis Ross is in cabinet. Um, um, but it's bad news for BC United. This is now the seventh MLA bailing from provincial politics. Mm. And we're still waiting to see what Mike DeYoung's going to do. Lots of speculation Mike DeYoung's going to run federally as well. He hasn't declared one way or another. But that would be a big loss to United as well. So it's, uh, again, good news for, for the federal conservatives, a bit of a hit for for BC United. It's and again, bad. this is this not s- surprising. This, has been, this rumor or this suggestion has been kicking around forever. In fact, Ellis Ross posted a video on Facebook a few months ago Openly discussing that he was thinking of jumping to the federal side. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's very open about stuff right. like that. If you ask him a question, he gives you a straight answer on um, It's also bad news for the federal NDP because the riding up there, Skeena Taylor Backrack is the MP up there for the NDP. Presumably, Ellis Ross would run against this guy well, and Ellis could beat Ross him. Has way more name recognition. I think he'd up win there. up there.
2: I think he's had a very good shot of winning. In fact, yeah. if you look at the current polling, and again, the, the next election is not for a year and a half, so many things can change. But right now, I mean, Polyev could run the table in BC. I don't think there's very many safe NDP or Liberal ridings in BC yep. right now. I think maybe uh, Don Davies in um, Vancouver Kingsway might be last man standing when it comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe Laurel Collins over here in Victoria, maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, the, the conservative okay. votes looks very strong, and I think Ellis would be the odds on favor to win.
1: And the phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Larry in Logan Lake. Hi, Larry, go ahead. Hey, good morning. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I am basically calling to confirm that, yes, transit is definitely an essential service and should be deemed as such. I'm calling on behalf of my younger uh, brother. He lives in Surrey, just over the Mann Bridge, and has to get into Coquitlam for work. The man works for $17 an hour. An eight-hour day fetches him one hundred and thirty-six dollars, and the government, of course, takes a third of that right off the top. Uber wants a hundred and twenty a day. Yeah, yeah The he, Uber is not. Stuff. A, he's not at work today. No, and he will not be returning to work until transit gets back into service. So, Thank you, Larry. I'll, I'll... You know,
2: hopefully today it's over and we don't see any more disruptions. The other story that's unfolded is this huge increase in Uber.
1: Shame so on Uber taking advantage prices. of people. Come on now. <laughs> it's Tripling really, their prices. It's really, and then they said they got shamed into it yesterday. They came out and said, okay, we're going to cap it. But then they didn't say how much the cap is. No, I mean, so, classic you know, price gouging. Yeah, you
2: know, it's, it's,
1: like I can understand, okay, there's 100,000 people coming out of a, a Rolling Stones concert or something at BC Place. Sure, you put out the prices then, but these are people who are who are stuck out of no fault of their own.
2: No, and, and trying to get to work, as our caller said, some of these people making low wages, yeah. and every dollar's precious. precious. Um, so to suddenly, you know, someone making $17 an hour
1: expecting to pay 60 bucks for a short oh, Uber brutal. ride is pretty bad. Yeah, Tim and Kamloops. Hi, Tim, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I uh, lived uh during the la- uh, in Vancouver during the last transit strike in the early two thousands, and I had to walk to work uh, or downtown and then take the SkyTrain that was running for free. So I think if they can do something which is going to give evoke some sympathy to the workers' plight, nobody wants a strike. It's inconvenient. So that's what happened that that time. That would have been like I said early two thousands, and very quickly in regards to Ellis Ross running and maybe beating Taylor back. Uh, we, uh, Keith said it, there's an eternity in political timing, and uh, what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to pressure Pierre Polyev to espouse more on his own policies. Plus, I do think there could be a ripple effect of what happens down in the States on November the 5th. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, well, we said it before, Polyev is yet to really reveal many details of his platform, but right now he doesn't have to, because the next election is still... He, you know october 2025 so there's no no reason for him to to do that right now he can ride the high poles for a long time jim and surrey
1: hi jim go ahead
2: good morning gentlemen you know with mark miller shutting down the scam schools or go to school not go to school schools i don't know what you call them uh, i think those schools should be completely shut down that they're that are existing they should be fined seriously fined Anyone who came into Canada to, to deceive Canadian taxpayers and get a passport should be immediately deported. The Canadian taxpayer should not be fitting the, bull for,
1: the ball for that kind of nonsense. Sorry about that. My dog's but, okay. You know, okay. Thank you. Thank it, you for the call. Yeah, of one
2: thing that's uncovered, I think a lot of people are unaware of, just how many of these sh- shady private institutions are out there, these ghost colleges, um, yeah. these dip- diploma mills.
1: Yeah, the, that, the, the the minister called them puppy mills yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, these these are on top of other shady establishments. I yeah. you know, heard a um, immigration expert on NW last night uh, talk about how some of them are on top of massage parlors. I mean, they, <laughs> you know, they do not give out real education. It's, no. just a, it's just a phony exercise. So there's a number of them in B.C., and we'll see... Selena Robinson is working, the uh, uh, post secondary education minister is working on a plan to crack down on these.